Aloha, everyone. Welcome back to the Wall Street Coach Podcast. I'm very excited today to have Stephen Goldstein here today. Stephen is the author of a new book that is a must-read for any trader mastering the mental game of trading. Uh, welcome to my podcast, Stephen. Pleasure to be here with you. We are going to just give you a little bit of his formal background. It, he is renowned as a top performance coach uh, within the financial uh, market, known for his expertise in guiding individuals involved in trading and investment activities towards enhancing their performance and capability. Uh, he's got nearly 25 years of experience in senior trading roles in London's rates and FX markets. Uh, Stephen brings wealth insight into the complexities of the financial markets and human behavior under risk. Stephen, I'm just curious, when do you feel that moment for yourself on your own journey was the most pivotal moment that you realized your the the importance for yourself of the importance of the mental game? Yeah, it's well, the, the, I think most most of these things you go through a lot of the time in this job uh, I, I think you know it's you know for the first time you get a hit when you start trading and you you know you get you know five years worth of lessons in one day um <laughs> right right the way to um you know that 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 time when actually you, you try to accentuate what you're doing and sort of push the boundaries a bit but i, I think the moment for me and, and it wasn't so much i think i always knew that it was a mental game because I, I used to read books on psychology and um, try and sort of lap up anything that was, you know, psychological, you sort of, you know, written about trading and, and the mental game. But it, what happened for me was I worked with a coach about halfway through my trading career. I was very fortunate to go into a an executive coaching program and I worked with a brilliant coach called Peter Burdett who wrote the foreword on my, on my book. Um, and the coaching wasn't really trader performance coaching. It was, like I say, standard executive coaching, um, but using a, a, an approach or a methodology that was very sort of um, psych, sort of um, psychotherapeutical. And that, for the first time ever, instead of looking, thinking the answers are out there in the psychology, and I've just got to, you know, sort of apply that. Actually, it took it back into me. It was for the first time going back this way. Yeah. That's kind of how I describe it rather than let's read about psychology. Let's read about the mistakes we make and the behavioral biases we have. And, you know, trying to understand all of that is great. It's interesting. It's fascinating. But actually, it's not the answers. The answers are about reflecting and learning who you are yeah. and understanding yourself. Yeah. And getting to see yourself in the context of your world and situation yeah. and that just brings a whole new level of awareness and the reflection that so the reflection that that catalyzed a process of reflection and i always say until then i think i was even though i've been doing it you know 13 14 years and i you know i i, I i've called myself a mediocre trader at that time you know lots of ups lots of downs you know, it's not the same as trading my own money when you work for uh, an investment bank, but, you, you know, you still live and die by what you do. Um, but after that, I think I became a good trader. And I know that might sound odd, but, you know, or, or maybe I'd say I became a very good trader. I became consistently successful. I became sustainably successful. My process worked, you know, on a regular occasion. I had the right mindset. Um, in it didn't become less stressful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, not, it's a stressful job. Yeah. If, if you want to do well at anything, high performance, it comes with a lot of stress. But I I lived with that stress much better. I cope with it, you mm -hmm. know, and and I worked my way through it and, and wasn't owned by things outside my control. So that that moment of working with a coach and what that did for me, that was the moment. It's so powerful at the start of your book where you talk about that initial hesitation or resistance to even working with a coach. I appreciate you being so 
honest there, so vulnerable there, because I do still today see so many traders, so many in finance, uh, uncomfortable with the idea of needing anything outside of themselves to contribute to their development. And I am just curious, you know, I, I suspect that that is just self-preservation, right? That confidence is part of what contributes to their success. When you stumble into somebody who still shows that resistance, what is it that you say to them to enroll them instead of being defensive, being able to consider it? What What is it that you try to, you know, share from well, your own journey? We, first of all, I, I was that person, you know, I was the one who resisted the coaching when it was offered to me. It felt like an affront to me, mm -hmm. you know, um, it felt like I was being challenged. I wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. um, and and do, you know, do you know what I liken it to? And, and I, I think this is far more a male thing than a female thing. Okay. When I used to drive along and I would, obviously before the days of sat-nav, um, and I'd be lost. And my wife would suddenly go, you don't know where you're going, do you? Yeah. You're lost. Why don't you pull over and ask someone for help? <laughs> and most men are affronted by that. Definitely. <laughs> the fact that they may need help, yeah. that they can't do it on their own. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that you've got to give in to your wife mm -hmm. and admit that you're failing or you're struggling. That goes so deep into the male psyche. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And... You know, I, I wish I'd have thought of that when I wrote the book, but a friend of mine said that to me recently, used that analogy. And, um, you know, I, I talk in the book about the people who stand against that, the people who are willing to make themselves vulnerable, mm -hmm. who are willing to ask for help. You know, often they're the most successful people in the financial markets. And, you know, and I would say the world. I would say the world. In the world, in the, in the world yes. And, and, and in fact, I worked with one exceptional portfolio manager um, and I started working with him about 18 months ago. And, you know, he probably is the best sort of trader or investor I've ever worked with. And, you know, when I start working with someone, I, I always ask him, you know, what made you pick the phone up or what made you email me or send that email off? Because I know it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Okay. And he, he'd seen me give a talk at his fund um and uh he said it, it felt like the most natural thing in the world for me to you know he was going through a bit of a difficult time a bit of a drawdown um and had been for a while um and he said just you know i've had help all my help all my life he said i had help as a young child i had help as a, a, a school i had help at college i had help from my parents i had help from my teachers i wouldn't be here where it <laughs> I wouldn't be where I am now without help from mentors. And so when I saw you talk, I thought I could do with that. And he said, it just felt natural. But that is so rare. Yeah. That mindset, that attitude, yeah. it's so yeah. rare. And and it, it's so rare to have the fact that he is the best so far you've worked with. It's like what what you're showing is that if you are able to be one of those rare people who is able to be vulnerable and look for that help, you might be that rare success case that stands yeah. out above everybody else. Well, I do come across him. I worked with somebody about 10 years ago who worked for an investment bank, a large US investment bank. And when I sort of, I was working with a group of traders at this bank. And um, when I had my initial meeting with his manager, and I said, look, can you give me some guidance on this individual? What what should I know? You know, um, what is your thoughts about them having coaching? Well, what is the why of why they're having coaching? And he said, look, Steve, this guy is, in my opinion, the best trader in the entire investment bank. And this was one of the big bulge bracket firms. Wow. And he said, globally. So I said, so why? And I, I fell into the trap a little bit. I said, so why is he having coaching then? Yeah. As if... Yep. As if you only have coaching when you're struggling. Right. And he said, he wants coaching. We're going to give him coaching. He is the best. We want to hold on to him. He's asked for it. And really it became clear to me that the, the entire group of people that I was working with 
was just because he wanted coaching and they couldn't just give it to him. It had to be part of a project. But this was a guy who made millions every year who they knew at some point was going to leave and join a hedge fund. Mm -hmm. And if they could maintain him just for one more year by giving him that extra incentive to stay by offering him coaching. Yeah. Because he wanted it. Um, not that he could have brought it on his own, but it, you yeah. know, yeah. It, it was that, that they wanted to make that move. And they said, he said to me, it's worth millions to us if he stays. So, you know, whatever this, he this, wants. <laughs> yeah. And, and this guy was incredible in every single way. Um, but he, he, and I know from the conversations we had, you know, even then he said he got so much out of it, which was, um, which is very reassuring for me as uh, as a coach. Had to be, had to be. Um, I can't help but go immediately based on what you just said about that willingness to be uh, helped, the willingness to be vulnerable, the willingness to be uh, comfortable in uncertainty to the story of the man who is over your left-hand shoulder, Muhammad Ali, because it is just a riveting story in the book, a story I've never heard before about him. Please share that because it packs a punch, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I, I read that story in a book called The Winner's Bible, which was written by a, a sports psychologist. And, um, you know, he told the story and it. You know, my, he, Ali's my ultimate sporting hero, you know, of all time. And, you know, probably my, my most, you know, one of my fondest memories growing up was the, uh, the Rumble in the Jungle, which was, you know, actually, I think 40 years ago this this year, or maybe 50 years ago this year, actually. It was um, fast. It was fast. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people listening probably won't know about that, but it's probably, the, I think it's still the biggest single sporting event in history yeah. sort of one-off sporting event and it was um it was the world title fight between Muhammad Ali sort of two times world champion but at the time you know the incredible George Foreman was the world champion um and, and he was he was formidable people thought you know he was unbeatable um he never no one had taken him past five rounds at that point and, and Foreman had beaten the only two people that had ever ever beaten Ali and he'd beaten them both within two rounds hmm. um and Ali was you know six or seven years older than Foreman and no one really gave him a chance you know that he, that he was considered well past his best um and this this huge fight was being staged in in the middle of the African jungle in uh in Zaire which is now the Congo um and uh and it was a huge event and and during the training for that event, during the sparring with their sparring partners, you know, they brought over lots of amazing sparring partners for both boxers um, from America for them to, to train with. And at the end of the sparring sessions, they go through a feedback um, appraisal with the person they've been sparring with to see what advice they might have, you know, what feedback they might have for the, the boxers team. Uh, and... On this one occasion, the, the sparring partner had been fighting Ali and his team said to him, you know, what, what feedback do you have from us, you know, with regard to, you know, to, to Mohammed's boxing? And, and he said, and normally that normally these boxers will just give very generic, very encouraging feedback. You know, they want to get their paycheck. They want to be asked back again. So they're normally very polite and, and courteous. But he said that, that man, if he fights like that, he hasn't got a chance. Foreman is going to kill him. And, and they were horrified. This, this, you know, the managers, the team, Angelo Dundee, they were like, get this guy out of here, put him on the first plane back. We can't have him damaging, you know, Mohammed's confidence and his, his mojo and everything. And it was Mohammed Ali who said, no, 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 absolutely not. I want to hear what he's got to say. Okay, I want to hear everything he has to say because I think he's right. And and he's going to stay with us and we're going to double his pay until he's convinced that the tactics and strategies we are using and that I'm using are going to beat Foreman. And, and it was from that process that they came up with, uh, you know, the rope of dope strategy, the fight strategy, the, 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 the entire, um, uh, you know, approach they were going to, to training, everything that went into that, that fight. And of course, it you know it became legendary. It became history that fight that you know what happened against the odds. Ali 
took on Foreman, took him to eight rounds, turned the fight, and then beat him in the most incredible, what was considered the most incredible upset. Um, and it was that fight more than any other, which probably made Ali the greatest sportsman of all time. Mm-hmm. And it was Ali willing to be vulnerable, willing to listen to feedback, willing to ask for help, willing to accept that maybe he's not as good as everyone else thinks he is. Yeah. And yeah. that humility yeah. turned a fight. Yes. And, and I use a quote in the book from Foreman's Foreman's manager where I said, you know what, we went into that fight with so much confidence. And, you know, we thought all the way through that fight, we had Ali where we wanted him. But actually, he had us where he wanted us. And and it comes back to that moment. Yes. Okay. Because the market is Foreman. The market has you where it wants you to be. Okay, but if you can have yourself where you want to be and own your own journey, okay, and that that same vulnerability I see in so many of the best traders I work with, you know, they they they'll admit they don't know where it's going, Mm -hmm. you know that that you you probably had these same conversations, you know, you you must have had them where, you know, it's almost the, the. Everyone thinks they know what's happening, but actually they don't. And they'll happily tell you that. Yeah, I think it's just so profound because that story is such an example. You know, even those who didn't grow up with Muhammad Ali in the background of their lives, you know, as we did, that is a man that everybody would say in a heartbeat has the most incredible confidence right? The most yeah. incredible sense of who he is. And yet he is also able to be with that sense of, I am still going to choose humility. So it's like he is a walking example of how you can be confident and humble at the yeah. same time. Yeah, well, there was a series of interviews. Um, there's some incredible interviews with Ali on, uh, you know, he did a lot of talk shows in the 70s. Um, and I think it was Bob Cavell, if, if okay. I remember rightly. There was a series okay. of I think his name was Bob Cavell. He's an American sort of uh, TV host of, you know, the sort of um, uh, the Carlson, you know, that, that sort of type yeah. with us. Yeah. And he was regularly on his show. And he was, you know, before the fights, he was Ali, the the sort of big, you know, ego, you know, the brash, the so you know that that I'm going to beat the guy, I'm going to pump into the ground. Um, but after there was an interview with him after the first fight he lost, which I think he lost to, um, I think it was Joe Frazier. Wow. Um, it might have no, been Ken Norton. I'm sure it was Joe Frazier. <laughs> and Ali came on two weeks after the fight, and he's sitting there with his face bruised and pumped up. And, and I was amazed because most people wouldn't have done that after they got right. badly. So true. After being brash in that. But the interview was so brilliant and he was so humble in the interview, you know, mm. to come out there after being so badly beaten, mm. face the very same world that you've told that you're going to, you know, whip their ass was the term he always used. Um, and, and he said, the guy beat me, you know, he, he had me, he was brilliant. You know, and he says that. And it's it's that sort of humility, that vulnerability, which is actually what makes him great. And when you look at so many great sportsmen, mm-hmm. they have that. They have that belief in themselves. They believe in their process. They believe what they do. But they also have this internal vulnerability that they're, they're willing to share. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what makes them so great. You know, if, you, if you're not willing to make yourself vulnerable, you can't get better. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk yeah. more about the power of that vulnerability uh, yeah. because it's just such, you speak at length about that in the book. You weave it into all the chapters, but speak more about how that is a superpower. Well, you know, it, there's a story with, at the very beginning of the book, which I talk about, when I was sitting at my desk at the, you know, at my at my work, and I was sitting there in a 
you know, in a really bad mood, really angry. I was losing money. The market's moving against me. And, you know, I was in one of those sort of funks, you know, where whatever you do, if you buy it, if you go long, it goes down. If you go short, it goes up. And I was trapped in that kind of, you know, sort of what I call a tilt state, sort of using the poker analogy, where you just can't see the market. And my 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 colleague, Ashley, who was my boss as well, but he was a great friend. Um, he and we, we normally just joked and bantered and sort of, you know, sort of ripped each other apart most of the time. But he just turned to me and he said, you're doing it again, Steve. And I said, what? I mean, you're doing you're doing that thing you do. What thing? I said. And he said, that thing where you beat yourself up, where you turn in on yourself where you know where you kind of like just just lose your temper all the time and i i just said to him what are you talking about uh, and he said you know if i had your skill and ability as a trader because we were two different types of traders and you know i had no customers no flow so it was just you know sort of trying to find value in the market and then capture that value he said you have no clients at all unlike him you know who worked in a different way and yet you make money every year. And if I had that, I'd, I'd cherish that. Sort of, you know, I'd honour that. He didn't say I'd honour it, but he said, you know, worth to that effect. And I, I kind of dismissed him at that moment because I think I was too deep in the hole. But at the end of the day, on the train, on the way home, I reflected on what he said. And he, he'd called me an alchemist. That was the term he used. Wow. wow. And I said, he called me an alchemist, I said to myself. And I went, do you know what? He's right. Every year I come in, every year I've got zero at the start of the year. Um, I, I don't have any sort of natural business. I have to make the money myself and generate an income. And I manage to do it every year. And, um, and, and at that point, I was like, you know, he said, why would you beat yourself up if you had that skill? And I kind of, that's when I came out of that. I was suddenly compassionate. I call that being compassionate to yourself. Beautiful. Okay. Beautiful. Um, but it, it, it took him to be compassionate and then me to listen um, yeah. and and sort of let go, let go from where I was. Yeah. And that, that 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 involves some vulnerability as well. That involves, you know, being willing to accept, you know, to let go of your ego, which really is just to say you're not as good as you think you are. Come on, let's get back to it. Yeah. Let's get back to the process. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I look back on my career, I had several major periods where I was in the big drawdown or really difficult period and I had someone you know show me compassion in a way be good to me a colleague a manager a boss and and that was where things turned around from that wow. moment on wow. and when I reflected on that I thought wow could you imagine if you can do that to yourself you imagine that it it, it didn't take somebody else to do it but you had that ability how powerful would that be and that's what I did in that story okay and that's what so many of these great traders i meet you know the, the, the lady who was the poker player yes. you know yes that ability to let go and she takes that into her trading as well and i meet this with traders you know that ability to get beaten up like ali does which i didn't talk about in the book yes you I do. Come out and just say yeah got badly beaten up you know he could have hidden totally Especially okay. with the bruises on his face. And yeah, yeah. he yeah. went as vulnerable as vulnerable can be. I, I, if you compare that to Foreman, you know, he went and hit for the next 20 years after that. So that true. Bit. He actually yeah. did come back much later and won the world championship again. Uh, something like 45, which just shows how incredible he was. Yeah. But, yeah. you know... He, he he went and hid for 20 years. And it's it's fascinating because I read his story of when he went and hid. And it's an incredible story. You know, the, the shame he felt from that. Wow. You know, the, wow. the humiliation. Yeah. You know, it just never recovered from it, at least for many, many years. Um, heartbreaking. And, heartbreaking. Because he, it's such, such yeah. contrast. Like, it, Ollie took that loss in stride and was able to do what he did with Foreman and yet Foreman ran and hid even just even for 20 years like that's two decades that he yes. kept himself from life 
Yeah, and, and and I meet many people in trading who do the same in their own way. Say, you know, say or, more about that. How? how and, and when you see it, how do you know that that is what they're doing? Well, it, it, it's not that I know or that I see it, but it, it's that the conversations we have brings it out somewhere and then they see it and they recognise it. And, you, you know, I, I worked with someone a few years ago. And again, he, he was a brilliant trader, but he'd gone into a, a big sulk. You know, he, he left the investment bank he was at. It was a big investment bank. He moved to a hedge fund. Um, but there'd been a few difficult years in between. And he wasn't trading well. He was losing money. Um, and, you know, I took him through that process cycle, the one I have in the book. Yes, yes. And it suddenly occurred to him that, you know, he's caught, he's not following his purpose as a trader. You know, his purpose, if we look at the alley, the foreman thing, their purpose is to be a boxer, to go out and do what they need to go and win. Okay. Um, When foreman was hiding, he wasn't doing that. Um, He'd done something similar. Okay. He was, uh, you know, he was talking a good game. Mm-hmm. You know, when he landed the job, he was going to make a lot of money, but he wasn't living that mm-hmm. same game. He was acting incorrectly. He was so worried about failing, about damaging his reputation, about that he's not going to succeed, yeah. that he was actually manifesting that. Oh. Okay. And he was doing all the wrong things for his process. You know, he was trading in ways that, you know, he was trying to capture the quick wins, which wasn't his style mm-hmm. ever, you know. Um, he'd been very systematic in much of his career, but he'd become totally discretionary, which Mm -hmm. didn't suit him, but he was just going after quick wins all the time. And it was going through this process and him talking it out and his own kind of realisation. You know, I I think, again, you probably recognise this as a coach. We catalyse these discoveries for people. We don't necessarily spot them. Yeah. Um, and from that moment, things started to turn around to him because he realised that, yeah, he's caught here. He's not doing what he's done, what makes him successful. He's doing something else because he's trying to he's trying to avoid painful outcomes. Yes. And all he was doing was creating more painful outcomes. So true. And I can't help but take that story now and go, it's all the way in chapter 21. I'm sorry to skip ahead, but there is this uh, amazing conversation about, uh, actually it might be 22, with the Ed Sakota quote, that is one of my favorites. A couple of of chapters later, sorry, where he says that everybody gets from their treating what they want. I have the exact quote here, but that is the gist of it. It is win or lose, I, win or lose everybody gets what they want out of the market. Yes. Um, that was from Market Wizards. Such and, a powerful quote. And you and talk it, a little bit about that. Can't help but go there now because of what you yeah, just spoke to. Yeah. Yeah. Well that, that that quote when I first read it, you know, and in, in, in the first Market Wizards book, which was, you know, I probably read that that was one of those books when I was reading about psychology in the early days of my trading career and it just came out and everybody was talking about that book in the market. Yeah. yeah. And I read that and I got to that quote from Ed Sakota and I'm like, that makes no sense. <laughs> that was, I got to read it again. And then I had to read it and, and I must have read it a hundred times and I still couldn't make sense of it. And I puzzled on that. Mm. And for years, what does it mean? Somewhere I knew he was right. I couldn't figure it out. And I spent many years trying to get that quote out in my head. And, you know, I read the market book, Wizard's book, several times over several years. And whenever I got to that bit, I just stopped and had to try and figure it out. But, you know, he, he was, Ed Sakota was one of the most incredible traders mm-hmm. of all time. And, and you know, he, he had so many deep, profound comments that he would make. I have uh, uh, I have the quote here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read it. I did yeah. write it down. I just have so I have like 14 pages of notes and questions for you, so I can't even keep track. But this quote is: "Win or lose, everybody gets what they want out of the market. Some people seem to like to lose, so they win 
by losing money. Yeah, it's it, it's profound. But, it, it, you know, it's it's also quite difficult to always make sense of that. You know, like, why would people deliberately lose? But they're not, they're self-sabotaging, you know? And, and, and even when I first read about self-sabotage, it didn't make any sense to me. Why would people self-sabotage? But you, you realise that's that ego battle. It's the ego that's sabotaging you. You're doing it to sort of, you know, fulfil the ego's needs and you're getting distracted to the ego-led purpose yes um, yes and that's part of why i think your process that you you know introduce is so powerful because you're talking about the importance of a trader identifying that purpose which is going to facilitate i believe them transcending their ego it it gives them i believe a path of how to climb out of that ego. So talk a little bit more about that process that you do speak to in the book and why you feel it's so important to for them to connect to that purpose. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I talk about these three P's of high performance, you know, process, uh, purpose, process, and presence, which is the ability to be present to those needs. And, they are they are like the antidote to the ego mm -hmm. and I, i'm also not of the belief that the ego is the enemy mm -hmm. um, I, I believe we need to somehow find a way to work with our ego that our ego has a good intention mm -hmm. uh, you know it, it it drives us forward it inspires us mm -hmm. it wants us to succeed it wants us to win yeah. um but it doesn't necessarily do it in the way that's going to allow us to win mm -hmm. Um, you know, our ego wants us to be liked. It wants us to be approved of. It's, you know, it, it, it's a legacy of another age when we were, you know, sort of pre-human almost, mm -hmm. where we need the approval of the society or group that we lived in. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's how we flourished in that world. Um, we had to be right. We had to, mm -hmm. you know, we had to do what they wanted to do. And we still do operate like that. Mm -hmm. We do still work like that in many senses. But in the trading world, you know, <laughs> doing that isn't the way to success you know trying to get the approval of the crowd you know that that's why we might end up taking a trade somebody else says because you know we, we're following what we think somebody else is going to do you know oh he's got a good idea let's do what he wants you know he must be right he, we don't even know we assume that other people are successful um and but you know you you, you we have this really powerful self the other side of us which is really capable mm -hmm. uh, you know our core self I, I don't know if you're familiar with the inner game of tennis mm -hmm. um, of course. By, by tim galway yeah. yeah um who talks about us having this self that is so capable that can do so much um and, and it's that self that you know is the self that can read the market that makes intuitive judgments that mm -hmm. learns that finds value, that um, starts to understand the drivers of the market and then find, you know, can, can sniff out a really good idea. Um, it's the same self that great sportsmen do, you know, when they're fully present to it, that they're able to achieve success in the world of sport. Mm -hmm. But it's when your ego comes in and gets in the way and takes over your process mm -hmm. um, that, that that other self is sort of nudged aside. Yeah. And... and you know, your ego, you know, it, it just wants to win. Um, but the ego is not a good trader. <laughs> well said, well said. And, and that's the problem. It comes in like a 10-time elephant. Let me take over, yeah. it says, because yeah. yeah. I need I need to be right. You know, particularly if you're losing, mm -hmm. you know, losing is part of winning. You know, the P&L, our P&L goes up and up and down, you know. Sometimes you, you build a position and it's going against you. Sometimes your portfolio is underwater, but your process says don't change it. You know, don't, you know, but when you're losing money, your ego doesn't like it. Okay. When things aren't working. So it wants to change it. It wants to do something to, to get you on the winning, you know, in the winning way. So it takes over your trading. That is, is, is just sabotaging you. Yeah. That's you have a great quote. In chapter five, it says the truth is that the best loser is the long-term winner. 
from art. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's from Pants of the Pits, that kind of thing. Such a good quote. Yeah. Such a good yeah. quote. Uh, all right, let's talk about the importance of a traitor uh, making a psychological contract with themselves. I also loved that bit. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that's, you know, the, the, the psychological contract is, you know, it, it, it's that bit where, it, you know, saying to yourself in a way that this is not always going to go the way you want, but how do you, how do you want to do it? <laughs> you know, for, for me, you know, I, I kind of formed a psychological contract. Part of mine was learning to love my losses. You know, that that was really important. You know, you have to agree, what is the bargain you're going to go through? Mm -hmm. You know, is it going to be a bargain, for example, where you're going to trade regularly nearly every day and you're going to win a lot, but every now and then you're going to suffer a, a big hit? Mm -hmm. You've got to accept that. You've got to make that bargain with yourself that that is part of the long-term journey towards success. And you've got to be able to live with that. So you have to accept that. Or is it could be that bargain where you say, okay, I'm going to lose most of the time. I'm only going to be right 10% of the time. But when I'm right, I've got to trade it in this way and optimise the return um, and, and try and get a much bigger return. So it's like a 20 to 1 return. And I must stay with it. In other words, you have to understand what is your approach? What is your philosophy? How are you going to trade? And, and then you must agree uh, agree with yourself that that's how you're going to do it that's your process that's your playbook that's your method rather than be led into trying to just capture every single move that the market makes or, or getting upset when you're you know when you give back money from a high water mark you are going to get upset it's just natural to do that okay but it's accepting that high water marks are just temporary stopping points for your PL mm. on the way to that much bigger um PL in the future um so so you 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 that psycho psychological contract in a way prepares you for those moments and makes it much easier to live with it's such a powerful concept it's so simple and yet i really think very few traders define that it's it's an agreement with yourself and you yeah. would think that that agreement with yourself is a necessary part of becoming a trader, and yet very few have even could even define what that agreement with themselves is. I, I tried to emphasize it and put it out there, but you know, for me, I, I wouldn't say you know I had the psychological con contract in the sense that I had, you know, this kind of thing I had to sign. But it was evolving and it was adapting, and yeah. you know, and, and I told myself that you know, for my style of trading, I'm going to have these sort of circumstances happen. Yeah. And I've got to accept them on the way to on the way to making money. So so one of my and I used to use these mantras, um, like so learn to love your losses was a way of helping me cope with setbacks and accepting that, you know, on the way to victory, I'm gonna have a lot of losses. Um, and some might be bigger than others. Equally, my style of trading wasn't one where there was I traded every day, mm -hmm. and there could be long gaps sometimes weeks or months between a winning trade. Mm -hmm. And I had to psychologically prepare myself for that. So part of that psychological contract with me was I came up with this, this mantra I used to call the London buses approach, hmm. which was, you know, when I grew up, you know, our, our buses were dreadful. We'd wait hours and then three would come along at once. Okay. Um, and I used to use that as my 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 metaphor for my psychological contract is, don't worry that you haven't made money for two, three months. There's going to be a whole lot of trades coming along together like London buses. Oh. Okay. And that that would always happen. And, and you'd say to yourself, they're always going to come along. You don't know when. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you don't know if it's in the next 10 minutes or the next 10 weeks. But they will come along and just stay with it. And, and that was part of my psychological contract Beautiful. that I made with myself. So, so, so just that self-awareness of you know, fortifying your loins, that that is what you're walking into. Uh, what stops traders from fortifying that mental preparation? What do you think keeps them from doing I, that? 
I think, and this is part of what was behind the book, you know, I I didn't really know what I was doing when I was trading, mm -hmm. okay? You get into it. No one really tells you what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, you sit down at a trading desk, you watch a few other guys, you know, you might have a few people give you some hints and ideas and, you know, buy here, sell here, and you start to realise, you start to learn the different fundamental processes that drive markets. You might learn, you know, a technical analysis approach. You might try and build a little bit of a system. Um, and we just do it. And some people, you know, some people get better at it than others. Sometimes you have a bit of luck, okay? Um, things fall into place. But we never really think, what is it we're actually doing? Mm -hmm. Okay? What is the job? Mm -hmm. And and it wasn't till I, I you know I don't think till I had that that experience about halfway through my career where I was coached where I actually sat back and sort of started to look at myself and I started to think what is it I actually do wow. okay and I had a a very profound moment during the that that coaching process where um, the coach had done a psychometric analysis and. He said to me, you know, you, you're, you're, you come up as really highly analytical on here, Steve. And I sort of went, OK, interesting. He said, yeah, I'm surprised you're a trader. I would take you as too analytical to be a trader. Um, now, he was using some of his own sort of stereotypes of what traders were. And he, he yeah. thought they were very risk-seeking, very, mm -hmm. you know, they didn't overdo the analysis, etc. But, uh, you know, for me, I was like, yeah, it was interesting what he said. Maybe he's got a point there. Because I was, I was really good at analysis. Yeah. I was really good at finding value. I was really good at spotting opportunities. Okay, and that's probably what got me to where I was at that point. Right. But it, it, when I reflected on that, I thought, he's right. And he's right in the sense, I'm actually not very good at taking and managing risk. I'm okay at it, but I'm not good at it. Yeah. And actually, this job is not analysis. This job is risk. So that... 13 years into my career, I'm suddenly, you know, there's a light bulb moment. The job is risk. The job is not finding value in the market. You find value in the market to get you into positions, but it's you who has to then take them. And, and, and you know, if you look at that process cycle in the book, you know, the left-hand side of it is all about preparation for the trade, yes. okay, for positioning. Yes. It's not, you haven't got anything on yet. Nope. Getting yourself in the right state, doing the right things, you know, planning the trade, etc., coming up with the ideas. But then it's the risk bit, it's the performance bit. That's what the job is. Yeah. And, and we don't think about it like that. Yeah. So, so for me, it was I, I I taught myself, actually, and this is probably a bit of a psychological contract. I've got to become a better risk taker. I've got to find a process for taking risk. Okay, that's what I need to do. Yeah. Okay, it's no good just coming up with ideas. Right. Okay, I've got to get better at taking risk if I really want to succeed at this. Yeah, and, and again, that was part of my psychological contract, you know. And what sort of person am I? I'm not somewhere to sit, someone who's going to sit there and put a big position on and sit with it for months. That is not me, yeah. that's not my personality. So there's no point thinking of risk like that. I've got to find a style of taking risk that captures my best skills, my best, um, you know, my, the analysis, which I'm really good at, yeah. I've got to find a way to capture that. Okay. And I've got to find methods and techniques where I can do that. Um, and that's, you know, that that's what I really started to develop after that, after going through that coaching process. So again, it wasn't the coach giving me that. That was an example of him catalyzing something for me and me really taking it away and reflecting on it. Yeah, well, you were willing to hear him and contemplate and ruminate and digest it. And then you, that's what I think is so powerful about coaching. It, it facilitates people coming up with their own solutions. It's that, but Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, had someone said that to me, I think in the workplace, um, in that setting, I'd have probably pushed back on them. You know, no, no, I'm good at taking it. You know, it probably would have felt like an attack, a personal affront. Yep. And I probably would have rejected that, mm. you know, at, at, the, at the, the work desk or yeah. whatever. You know, or even if we'd have had a conversation and my ego would have come in and 
so it challenged but in that really safe environment where you're in a coaching conversation yeah i felt really safe to hear that yeah and and, and i didn't reject it yeah. I, I i wondered why i never got any personal affront but it was delivered within the concept of a coaching contract yeah within that concept of honesty and feedback and yeah. you know sort of curiosity and discussion that was part of that process yeah um so you know i was much more receptive to it yeah. and and like i said you know he never i don't think the coach realized that that was a big moment wow but for me you know i came up with this kind of two hats so again part of that psychological contract i, I can't remember whether i talk about that in the book this idea of two hats one is an analyst hat yes that's value and another one is a trading hat a risk hat where it's how the hell do i monetize this that's right what do i need that's to be right. doing what do that's i right. how do i manage my risk yes. how do i get out of it when i'm wrong but that consciousness yeah how do i recognize when i'm wrong totally totally and and be able to look at that without judgment and get caught up in just being wrong instead of seeing it as just an opportunity to be right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. The, and that's part of it. So that's part of the, the, the you bit, the sort of your being bit, yeah. being optimal. You yes. know, that the, the not digging in and digging your heels in and that's where the ego comes in. You know, screw the market. I'm just going to stay long. You know, it's the, the, the process bit is actually, no, the market's going against you and your process said you should be getting out of here. The ego comes in and goes, screw you, process. We're staying long. We're not giving up on this. We're not taking the loss. You know, but the process bit says, no, the story's changed. That's right. That's right. That process bit is is my favorite part because it feels like the foundation that everything else gets is going to be built upon. How solid is that being? You talk about the being uh, and the ability to, a couple of quotes here, the trader's ability to ask questions of the market will be impacted by the state of their relationship with themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, if you have a strong relationship with yourself, you know, you, you will ask much better questions and you will look at it with object, you know, objectivity and you will see you know this with objectivity you know and, and the big trade i talk about through the book you know i was in a big drawdown when that happened but i was also within my psychological contract ironically enough so so i was comfortable in that drawdown um i was comfortable putting risk on in the drawdown um as part of that psychological contract i readjusted my size because i had less room to play with going into that and i developed a structure that if the trade started to move my way um, but that kept me objective. So when the situation happened that suddenly, you know, sort of uh, alerted me or triggered me to this was a, a potentially good trade idea, mm -hmm. I was ready for it and I was on it and I wasn't missing it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's staying in that objective place, that place to see the market with that clarity that you need sometimes. Um, and to be able to respond quickly as needed because, you know, the, the risk reward... It is if you don't respond straight away and you wait sometimes just just vanishes to just close out the traders who are listening to this the traders who perhaps are beginners and the traders that are sophisticated i want you to speak to both of them and speak to what will they walk away with from your book what they're going to walk away from is this you know this improved knowledge of really what the game they're playing is okay um and and that it is both the physical game you know the the the, the, the strategies the systems the methods the analysis they do but paralleled with that at the same time is a much tougher game and that's that's the game they're playing within themselves that inner game and and, and trying to do those two together is what the mental game is you know, you're trying to play that external game and the internal game. You see it in sport all the time. It's why I love using the sports analogies. It's why I bring, you know, Mohamed Ali, Novak Djokovic, Michael Jordan. You know, when you watch these greats, 
they're playing those two games and Djokovic talks about this all the time you know um, you, you see it with all of them that they, they know they're playing both games mm-hmm. and they're mastering both at the same time and you see it with, with great actors as well mm-hmm. and great performers you know I've read a lot about Beyonce and what she does you know yeah, it, it's incredible the way they you know they get themselves to that level to be that good you know in the moment for sure that one of my favorite quotes uh is let me just see if i can find it here where you talk about that uh sense of them being able to have the fortitude uh to get that emotional mastery that sense of that mental fortitude and how that is their key to their emotional mastery that is just such a powerful it's just a powerful section of the book really powerful really powerful the book's amazing i hope everybody listening to this uh reads that book because it's going to really facilitate just like you said them understanding what game they are actually in the middle of it's a powerful read and i'm just so happy to get to share it with those who are listening to us so thank you Stephen, for this conversation been a pleasure and thank you for you know some brilliant questions and dialogue as well from you so my pleasure going to be very powerful for a lot of traders and i'm excited to see the results for them they're going to be able to create for themselves because of it so thank you for all that you put into it you can feel the years your years and your heart are in that book so thank you can can i also say that i owe a thank you to the many teachers that i've worked with over the years you know the teachers of my you know sort of i've learned gestalt psychotherapy from um the coaches the coaching teachers i work with you know amazing coaching teachers but also the clients i work with mm-hmm. you know who have been willing to you know they've all said yeah happy to share the story steve and you know sometimes i amalgamated two or three yeah. a couple of times there was one individual this was their story and i sent it to them to read and make sure yes. you know obviously we anonymized it but yes you know yes. They, were, they were willing to share that with the world so that you know, this is what I get from a lot of people that the stories and anecdotes in the book, yeah. they see themselves as if they're going through it. Yeah, it's but, because people, I think we need to hear those stories of what other people are going through because it makes us feel less alone. It makes us, yeah. it helps us see that, oh, others have gone here before. Yeah, I had one great friend who I, I he's a trader and he's an amazing trader, but he's doing it 30 years and you know, he's one of those guys that if you ever met him, you'd think he's losing money every single day. Um, I, I, and, you know, he said to me, he, he called me up and said, I've read it, Steve. Were any of these me? And I said, no, none of them were. He said, I saw myself in every single one of them. Wow. How you know? fabulous. What an incredible gift. That yeah. is a huge gift. I love it. I love yeah. that story. I, yeah. I really wish we had more time because I am a big fan of Gestalt uh, therapy and it informs a lot of uh, my philosophy. So we'll have to have another part two one of these days because I could spend a whole hour talking to you about that. Very happy to happy okay, to discuss. So thank you again. This was an amazing conversation and uh, thank you everybody for watching the Wall Street Coach podcast. <laughs>